0: at orderct.com slash easter24
1: you know we cannot we can't afford to let fear and anxiety take hold of us we can't afford and so like the weapons we've been given are like praise and prayer you know those are like those are the weapons we've been given and renewing our minds in the faith with the word. Those are like literally the weapons we've been given to combat deep levels of fear and anxiety, Um, being bombarded with it, you know? Um, So I think that was the instinct is like, okay, if we don't do something proactive, this is going to sweep us into, yeah, that place.
0: Welcome back to the Transforming Discipleship Podcast brought to you by smallgroups.com, a podcast designed for church leaders desiring to make disciples for Jesus Christ in the world. I'm your host, Oliver Hersey, and today we are joined by the talented singer-songwriter Josh Carrolls who created an album in quarantine titled Peace to All Who Enter Here. It has a mix of classic hymns and worship songs that you will no doubt enjoy. This is part two of the conversation with Josh. And we're also joined by the producer of this podcast, Kelsey Baus. And in this episode, we discuss spiritual rhythms in quarantine, and in particular, the topic of peace and how that can be found even in your home during this difficult season. You wrote this album in quarantine, and you're talking about your family breakfast, which I love that you do family breakfast. Well done. Yeah. Sounds like yeah. you have a cool home. I'm, I might just come in like uh, and take notes. I have two children myself. We do try to do family breakfast. You know, what is it like being quarantined? You said it was kind of, you know, mini, perhaps a mini sabbatical in a way, but... You know, give us some of the highs and maybe even some of the lows, because I'm sure, like most families in America around the world that have been quarantined with little children, it can be a little taxing for some people, yeah. especially for those who aren't accustomed to doing the homeschool situation like you guys. Yeah. Have. What would you say were some of your have been some of your highs, some of your lows in this whole process? I think like anyone, even if you're accustomed to being
1: at home with your family, which my family had a head start. Man, we've like had already been working on a rhythm for years of how do we do this all together? Dad works from home or homeschooling. So we had a head start. I'm
0: going to wait for your book to come out then because (laughs) I need to read something that's going to help me. (laughs)
1: That's right. That's right. I mean, one practical thing, I don't know how old your kids are, man, but instilling a once a day quiet time, usually post lunch is a good time, man. We're like as early as your kid being two years old, like everyone reads for at least 20 minutes to a half hour, you know? And that gives mom and dad, if you need to take a nap, you take a nap during that half hour. Yeah. And your kids might, like, depending on how young they are, they might buck up against it for a little while, you know? But they learn, like, we're to the point where our two-year-olds can sit with a stack of books for a half hour. So giving yourself, like, little windows where, like, you can go take a nap, you know? You can go close the door on them for a little while. But with that, that's probably the hardest part of being together as a family, in a home, you know, in quarantine is, yeah, just no no real break. Because even families like us that are sort of used to that rhythm, there's still this sense of, like, there's things to do out there where, yeah, I mean, those first couple months, like, I was the only one who went out to grocery stores and I got, like, masks and gloves and
0: just you're here. You begin to have a little bit of cabin fever. Even just the wisdom of finding a way to build into your 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 day uh, a space for some stillness and whether that's you know reading a book or taking a nap that's very very sacred very important yeah <laughs> that's good yeah. you know in your other albums you, you highlight peace I mean let's talk about peace for a minute you know what is peace
1: yeah man that's a good question that's a good question so a few months ago I had this time, where I'm realizing in hindsight, it was a question posed to me by the Lord. So I was journaling, and I really felt like this question rose up in my heart and mind, which was, hey, I want you to journal down any time in your life that you can remember when you felt a transcendent sense of peace. And by transcendent, I mean, there's like a deep feeling that anxiety is not present. There's a sense of like, deep level of contentedness in the present moment, a sense that the future is going to be okay. There's like hope connected to it. I mean, I think we all have little moments of this throughout the day. What was the highlight of your day? I'm talking like sort of transcendent, these moments that are burned into you. Like that was a moment when I knew everything was all right and I was overcome And whatever deep level nagging, fear, anxiety, or anger, and like that's not present, and you're like comfortable in your own skin, you know that you're unconditionally loved, you know that the future is going to be glorious, you know that you're held in the present, transcendent. Because I had one of those moments, the night before that question rose up in me, I had one of those moments while we were like, it it was still cold outside, so this would have been late winter, and we had a fire in the fireplace, and I was just staring at the embers, And whatever thought process my mind and spirit were going down, just sitting, staring at those embers, it struck me. I was like, when you become conscious in the dream that you're having the dream, it struck me like, this is one of those moments. This is peace, (laughs) you know? Because it like, my thought and my heart went to this place. Like I said, that this transcendent peace rolled over me and I sat there with it and I knew in my heart, I was like, remember this moment. You'll always remember this moment. And so the next morning that, thought rose up in my heart. And the interesting thing is on that list, there were probably only seven to 10 moments in my life that I could remember experiencing what I'm just going to call like permeating transcendent, like peace of God, peace of God level peace, you know, shalom, which is more than just once again, contentedness or I feel good right now. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Like I used to do a lot of drugs and you have feelings of elation that aren't necessarily peaceful. You know what I mean? Like, so on that list, most of them had happened in my adult Christian life, which is telling, you know what I mean? But what's interesting is when I told my wife, Michelle, about that moment by the fire the night before, she's like, Josh, I don't want to make you feel bad, but I think most people have more of those times than you do because I can be given to like melancholy sometimes, you know what I mean? And despairing and always trying to like problem solve. And, you know, yeah. so she actually recognized Josh, I think maybe you're supposed to live in that place more often than you do. And I was hey. it was like a revelation. Like, huh, I might, there might be part of me that doesn't live in a place of peace so that when I actually touch upon it, it's like, Stop the show. (laughs) Something just happened, you know. And she brought that to my attention. I think that's a place that you're supposed to access more often. It's not supposed to be once every two or three years that you have this moment. Granted, you do have these sort of Kairos moments where God does something special that can't be repeated. But yet that place of peace, I think, is something that is supposed to be accessed more and more. And I realized that for myself which led me on a journey. So to just continue the answer to this question, it's become a really important thing to me. And part of the, like my days seeking the Lord is like, I'm actually looking for the one who holds that peace and whose presence is the only place where it can be found. So it's that knowing of myself that I think I haven't experienced a lot of that in my life. And the only times I do are when I can like really find it in him. He is the bringer of peace And that level of peace, it can heal sickness. I mean, it can heal mental conditions. It can heal deep spiritual woundings. It can give you components of your identity in him that you didn't even know were present. It can disconnect parts of your identity that you think are just negative parts of who you are, that he's actually saying, no, that's not actually who you are. Like Mm. despair, you're like, despair is not supposed to even live in you. Like, And in his peace, those things can actually begin to be separated because they can't live in his presence, you know?
2: It's really miraculous what God can do with things like anxiety. I used to suffer from really bad anxiety. I I had insomnia from a coding job I had once that lasted for like three months and, you know, panic attacks. and, And so it's amazing when you see God can take all of that away, you know, and start something new. Um, And you mentioned your wife, Michelle, and I watched your documentary, The Sea In Between, and it seems to kind of, you know, touch on your love story a little bit. And as a woman, of course, I'm interested in that sort of thing. But, um, But I know that she wrote on your albums, Bandcamp page, like a little bit about the making of the album, And she said, in the month of March, the world entered a time of quarantine. Our life of work and school from home continued basically as usual, but beyond the boundaries of our yard, the world was rapidly shifting instinctively for us. It was time to pray and praise. It sounds like your family had some spiritual rhythms going. You talked about that a little bit before, but I mean, that's not an instinct for everyone. Okay, we're in quarantine. Let's pray and praise. I think a lot of people instead maybe sadly went to the liquor store. So how did that uh-huh. kind of become yeah. a reaction, you know, for your family?
1: Yeah, or or just got addicted to news feeds.
2: Yeah, or that. You know what yes. I mean,
1: addicted to news feeds and reading the new tallies of who in their county has How many people in their county have it? How many people have died? You know what I mean? I think we were all like tempted to just get addicted to the feed, you know, which I think her saying instinctively, we realized early on, like, whoa, that is feeding. (laughs) That's like feeding a lot of fear. We don't need to pretend this isn't happening. We need to be smart, but to feed our fear, like, it's the opposite of faith. It's the opposite of peace. You know, you're talking about like anxiety and fear that just were like a shockwave, you know? So I think the instinct was we're not supposed to go that way. Even if our surroundings and our culture is like barreling in that direction, it's not for us to go there. You know, we cannot, we can't afford to let fear and anxiety take hold of us. We can't afford. And so like the weapons we've been given are like praise and prayer you know those are like those are the weapons we've been given and renewing our minds in the faith with the word those are like literally the weapons we've been given to combat deep levels of fear and anxiety um being bombarded with it you know um so I think that was the instinct is like okay if we don't do something proactive this is going to sweep us into yeah that place (laughs) yeah
0: yeah yeah you know, as we're talking about peace and one of the things I've noticed in your albums and in your music is you talk about peace a lot, not just in this album, but you've talked about it also in, in the Love War and Sea album. And you talk about finding peace when things around you are unsettling, kind of like what we're experiencing, right? In the pandemic, many people around us, the news feeds we watched people be unsettled. And even in Chicago here where Kelsey and I are currently residing, we we witnessed unsettling emotional intensity that's that's erupting all around us yeah you know i'm wondering if you would share with us you know you seem to have tapped into the fact that peace is necessary in the storm and peace can be found in the storm and you clearly have experienced it i mean your music kind of alludes to it in so many ways could you share with us maybe a moment in life or a season in life where you were in a storm and you did find the mooring point the peace point for yourself and what did that look like how did you get there And, uh, you know, how did you get out of the storm?
1: Yeah, what you're alluding to is maybe like crisis, crisis moment, which can be thrown upon us by tragedy or any number of ways. Things not going the way we wanted them to, economic crisis. Um, I, I really feel like for me, the crisis has been, interestingly, like what I talked about just sort of like the physical breakdown which as the years have gone by I've realized has been probably I'm dealing with some type of autoimmune condition you know which affects my gastrointestinal tract sometimes my throat sometimes my voice like autoimmune things they have a way of morphing and affecting all weird areas of your body you know and I think at times what I've allowed to happen is to let my mind go down the trails of what ifs like what if this is going to take my life? What if, so fears of mortality, fears of whatever it is, man, life changing, like freedom's being taken away from you because of an ailment or an illness or something. So of all things, I just feel like working through affliction has been on and off my ongoing crisis point, where you have to question, like, what is God going to do anything about this? Has he, what has he said about sickness? Has he given me any words as to what i 'm to do in the midst of this fears once again fears of mortality and all these things, and I think there have been times where like those have brought deep levels of anxiety and melancholy and despair, especially when your body is being affected by something chronic that can start to like lead you to a place of despair of like all 's lost, it 's never going to get better. my best days are behind me. You know what I mean all those things can come like just rolling over you, you know. Which is a very unpeaceful place to be—to be trapped in like fear and despair and melancholy. You know what I mean? It's not a fun place to live, and I would venture to say that depending on how people listen to this, a lot of people are very familiar with what that feels like. You know?
0: Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. I was thinking about the ministry people out there—you know, leaders, small group leaders, pastors, worship leaders, whatever it might be—that are in the midst of it right now. Perhaps they're feeling very unsettled because the economy is not great or, or it could be a yeah. whole a, a wide array yeah. of things, The yeah. racial tensions right now that are sweeping across, um, you know, our country and our world and just the unsettling nature of all these things. What would you say to them? How, how do we get ourselves back to a place of peace?
1: Well, one, I was thinking this morning, Psalm 37 says like, fret not yourself because of evil, it tends only towards wickedness. And this sense of like giving ourselves to fear or anxiety. Psalm 91 is another wonderful one to read where it's like it's talking about pandemic and illness and wickedness and plagues and anything that could come to destroy us and take us down. And he's saying, but those who find their shelter under my wing, those who trust in me, 10,000 might fall at your right hand, you know but it won't come near your tent. And so there are these invitations, despite all odds, despite whatever like 10 to 1, the culture around us is saying, this is the outcome. This is what's going to happen. You need to fear because of this. You need to protect yourself. You need to do all you can to ensure that this doesn't happen. And you actually, you need to disengage from that. And the Bible makes these promises to us. The Lord makes these promises to us that if you will come to me and you will hide yourself in me, if you will trust me, I will take care of you.
0: What you're saying makes me think of like the things that Jesus says to us, right? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest, It's it's in the boat when the storm is raging on the sea of Galilee. What do the disciples? Do they pound on Jesus? Say, don't you care if we drown? And what does Jesus do? He gets up. Peace. Be still. And so what you're, I hear you saying, Josh is we are invited into a relationship in a way, right? A connection point. The Bible invites us into this relationship with something wholly other than ourself, holy, in the sense that this is the almighty creator God that will give you peace, mysteriously even. I mean, we could. it's hard to even like yeah. explain how it happens, right? Yep. But I will say for
1: those listening who do like believe, there probably needs to be a point if you're resonating, you're like, I want that. How do I get there? There's a point at which you need to call your anxiety and fear and unbelief what it is.
2: Mm.
1: Name and what it, it's right? called. What it's called is sin. Yeah. It's called not trusting. And the Bible calls anxiety sin, and it calls unbelief, wickedness. And so in the midst of crisis, if you're like, oh, yeah, I believe in the Lord, but you're just like gripped with it, gripped with it, and you're like, I'm just, I'm just an anxious person, or whatever it is. You know what I mean? There needs to come a point where you're like, No, this is like, my response is wrong. Even though this is crazy, everything happening around me, actually me giving in to fear, anxiety, and unbelief in the Lord's word and his promises amidst this chaos is actually called sin in the Bible. Yeah. And coming to terms with it and actually going to him and saying, Lord, I don't trust you. I'm gripped with fear and anxiety. I need you to take these. It says, cast our burdens upon him and he will take them, you know? for he cares for you. So there's this sense in which that's the way out, man. You actually recognize that you're harboring and holding those things in you. Realize that it's actually sin. Your unbelief and your anxiety and fear are actual, actually, if you're holding on to them, that's actually a place of missing the mark and distrusting the one who wants to give you the peace that I've been talking about. Even since the experience of me, like, realizing my need for peace. I've had these experiences that are wonderful. And I've told my wife, Michelle, like, when I touch on that place, it's the only place I ever want to be. I would I would give anything, anything to stay there. I would abandon everything. And that's sort of the trajectory me and my wife are on. Like, he is worth it. He is Mm -hmm. worth the peace that he will bring you is worth more than what you have in the bank. It's worth more than your job. It's worth more than the house you think you want or the house you have to leave. Like it's just, I've tasted it. It's so precious. I would give anything and everything to live in that place. It's
0: the best. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I want to yeah. go back to, to something you said earlier too. You, you had talked about how you were you know, staring in the embers of the fire and you were realizing this is peace and Michelle comes to you and she tells you, she says, people live more in that place than perhaps you do, which I smile and I chuckle because I resonate with that experience right there. I've had nearly the exact same conversation with, with my wife as well, and God bless them. They're right. And so how important is it that we have people in our life, maybe they're not our spouse necessarily, but how important is it to have some trusted comrades, friends, beloved people around us? who have permission to speak into us this way and lead us perhaps to these places of peace. I mean, is it necessary? I mean, can I find peace on my own? Would you say, is it, do I need a community? Like, what does that look like for you? What would you encourage the person right now who doesn't have any peace? I mean, is it something they can find on their own with Jesus? Do they need a community? Probably both. And yeah,
1: yeah, probably both. And because I think anyone, anyone, out there can start to have personal self-assessment moments where you look at a given day and you start to realize where were trigger points where you were robbed of peace, where like a vacuum, it was taken away from you. Mm. And for me often, man, unfortunately, it just is what it is. It's like social media will do it to me. Like (laughs) often I get on there and it's like, I know afterwards that it triggered something in me that I'm like, kind of wound up and a bit irritable or anxious, you know. And so I have to assess like, you know what, I think that's not real healthy for me. I carry more peace through my day, the less that I do that. Once again, I'm not at a point where I've just hacked it off and I'm never touching it again. But I realize, like, I need to really limit my interaction with that thing, you know. And so that's one example in my life. But I think any one of us, it might not be that trigger for someone else. But for someone else, it might be something else, you know, like, recognizing trigger points that can like rob you of peace. And once again, there are going to be stressful things in the world. So we can't necessarily just run away from everything. But I I think you know what I'm saying. We can begin to assess the ways we're spending our time. And the proactive side of that is we can begin to practice. I know it's a word that isn't going to sound fun to people, but there are spiritual disciplines. Like you can begin to wake up just a little earlier for us before our kids get up. That's when I'm best. And so I wake up before my kids and I have time alone with the word and with devotionals like Streams in the Desert and Oswald Chambers and that stuff, you know. We can like instill, just try to introduce like little... Proactive moments where you're renewing your mind, where you're bringing it back to the things that matter. That's something anyone can do. Those are two things, you know. Assess the things that are robbing you, and pick up a few things that are like bringing life and peace back into you, you know. But to the other part of your question, yes, I I don't, I don't think we can be an island, you know. In this time of quarantine, that might be the negative outcome is a lot of us fellowship is lacking. You know, I'm blessed enough to have a wife that we like. We charge ahead together, and we help each other, like, but not everyone has that either, you know, so probably everyone needs to find at least one or two people that they can circle back to and man, have life-giving conversation, you know yeah. life-giving conversation and ask questions and encourage one another you know it's, it's I really
2: time. liked uh, what you had to say, Josh, about spiritual disciplines. I did this theology fellowship last year in Waco, Texas with an Anglican church and they made us, we had to sign on to do all of these spiritual disciplines like daily morning prayer, monthly spiritual direction and life coaching. And it was like, okay, this is structure that I need for life that I don't always go to on my own. <laughs> but I had a question for you about yours. Sister, I, I listened to the Grace Story podcast that you were on, and it seemed like your sister becoming a Christian had a really big impact on your life. And yeah, you're coming to the faith, and I was wondering, you know, if you could talk a little bit about that and how it brought you to a place of peace.
1: Yeah, so that was my sister Gayla, who now she lives in Seattle with her husband Zach, and she's five years older than me and definitely growing up, I have two older sisters. Gala was the oldest though. And they were like touch points for me. Um, back in the day, you know, before grunge, even it was like, they introduced me to alternative music. So I was like listening to the Pixies and the Cure. And they were like a cultural touch point. And the guys they dated were the ones who taught me to skateboard. And, you know, like, so that in many ways, they early on were like helping me, find my voice and my trajectory culturally and the things I was into so I definitely like always looked up to my sister Gayla you know Um, she's really intelligent she was a white Whitinger scholar here at Ball State which means like her school was paid for she studied art and then I came to school here the first year she came back here from Buffalo New York where she was a professor to be a professor here at Ball State and she had just come to the faith. And this is my sister who previously had been sort of agnostic, but definitely, as you find in higher education, she was pretty caustic towards Christianity. That was the Gala I knew. It was like hyper-intelligent, but very, I don't know, what would you call it, man? Self-centered? Yeah, in hindsight, you know what I mean? Like she didn't believe in the Lord at all. you know. So that when, when I saw her come to faith, it was kind of shocking and almost off-putting for me, you know, because it was so, she was so sort of transformed. There was something about it that was really beautiful, seeing like the light in her eyes and the ease with which she held herself and sort of this new gentleness in how she interacted with people. But it was also a huge shift compared to our friendship up to that point. But she would invite me to a church here in Muncie, and I'd go with her, you know, hung over from three to four days of partying through the night, you know, like I was just a party kid here. That's that's what I did, you know. But all the while, she would like be praying for me in tears, which she told me in hindsight once I came to the faith. So just for people to remember that like, I can mark when she started praying for me, I can mark that this life of sin that I was pretty deep in, you know, like pretty deep level drug use and just kind of dark stuff, hanging out with people doing nefarious things, you know, I can mark the moment she started praying for me. I was uneasy with the lifestyle I was in. And I was beginning to see like, true wickedness for what it was and light and dark began to polarize in a way that they weren't polarized before that before that it was like gray. I thought I believed in the Lord, like the things I was doing weren't didn't necessarily strike me as wicked, you know what I mean? Or sinful or something, you know, but when she started praying for me, it's as if the two realities like Mm. separated from one another. And the tragic part was I realized pretty quickly, like, Whoa, I'm on the wrong (laughs) side. I'm on the wrong side. And I could see almost like all these memories would come back to me when I was a really little kid. I remember like this, this idea, this voice inside my head and heart, letting me know that I was loved letting me know there was a purpose for my life letting me know you know that there was like this sort of destiny in some ways that was a good thing that was mine to enter into and you know as a 20 something when that dark and light polarized and I realized like wow I'm on the dark side I knew that I'd forfeited this sense of uh, purpose or something Mm -hmm. I knew that it was gone and it it is so sad to me it's tragic you know And that really is where the longing for salvation began to come alive. Like, can I be saved? Can I be saved? You know, which is a pretty crucial question that, that question has to come from a place deep down, you know? Um, and it took months and months for that question to be answered, you know, but when it did, it was miraculous. You know, it came like from outside of me, (laughs) the answer. And I had like, either had to submit or die, you know, is kind of what it felt like. Um, but I will say, my sister Gayla, to loop back to your question, pretty crucial character in my life, like sort of midwifing me towards being born again, you know, um, along with a few other people. But I will say, like, man, her, her like sort of tearful prayers and pleading for my life paid off, you know, and inviting me to come with her to this church that made me really uncomfortable but also made me cry and like the mix of emotions and like I hate this and you're like (laughs) crying because you're like really touched by it like all that was going on it was just all that was going on in here you know
0: pretty like special time to remember though yeah I wonder as I'm listening to that story how many people perhaps are listening who have a loved one that they too have a burden on their heart for and to know that there is a God out there that can do these amazing things. Like what you yeah, just man. even as calloused over as we can get sometimes with like, we don't see it happen all the time. It does happen still, doesn't it? Yep. And it happens in a pro- powerful and profound way. And, and that is uh, only something God can do. So that yeah. is, uh, that's special. Thank you uh, for generously sharing that with us. We appreciate Yeah. That. Yeah. Hopefully it's given somebody hope out there. So, you have five kids. Five kids now. And how old is your youngest? Uh, almost two. Two, wow. And so, you have a full house. Yeah. And what have you, and you have all these rhythms of peacemaking in your home. Are you raising, I mean, are you encouraging your children to be peacemakers? I think about the passage where Jesus gets up and talks about, Blessed are the peacemakers. You know, what does it look like? Now, on this side of being on the light, this side of knowing Jesus, you are a peacemaker. How do you enter into culture and try to make peace in the world around you? It's a really good question.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how I want to approach that, man. It's a good question because I'm often torn that I think there are in the faith some universal ways of just like seek peace and pursue it. It's our mandate under the Lord to like be peace bringers, you know? And there are ways that are just tried and true that are something that everyone is supposed to do across the spectrum, like not holding a fence and turn the left cheek and bless those who persecute you. You know, these are things that lie on all of us as believers, all of us, you know, the Sermon on the Mount stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. But then how that is lived out contextually in our time has been this ongoing... Question to put it this way, I think there are going to be some who are called straight from the top you know to live in the hardest places in the hardest cities, hands on drug use, prostitution, unjust governments, hitting those things like head on and like going to rallies and like that is some people are going to enter into that, and that's a way to bring peace like. Yeah. Confronting destructive systems and social justice. There is a place for social justice in sure. the gospel as a Christian. Some people don't believe that. They, they think it's social justice is some liberal agenda. Like there's a place to be a Christian and enter into those things, you know? Yep. But then I also see, as you brought up Wendell Berry earlier, and St. Francis, I live in a place where there's like Amish populations. If I go 30 minutes outside of Muncie, you're driving on Amish country. And it's hit me over and over like, dude, these people have in their own way, it's a prophetic (laughs) existence. And they're actually retaining, they're retaining things that are lost on the rest of culture. And you drive past like an Amish homestead, and she's out there like hanging clothes to dry. And there's like, a cool breeze going through the wheat outside their yard. I mean, it's like this picture of like peacefulness, you know, that there are some that have been called to at times like separate themselves from the mainstream in order to preserve a sense of peace. I feel like a weird mixture of both of those, to be honest with you, you know, Um, there's part of me that feels that what I do and times I speak that I'm like, sort of in this flow of like what's happening in culture and music and things like that. But then there's this other part of me that actually at times connects with like Wendell Berry and St. Francis and the Amish that like, (laughs) there's something at times about pulling out and saying, you know, I know all of society is going this way, but I don't sense the peace of the Lord there, man. I don't sense that making my life better. I sense that as a distraction.
0: You said I'm creating a home of shalom in a way that is yeah. Yeah. who will we'll enter here. And when I am out there, I will seek to make peace. But there's that delicate balance. It is. Yeah. Because, again, cause all the way back to the beginning of this conversation, I'm
1: moving my family to a farm. You know what I mean? So there's yeah. that part of me that, like, I think the last thing me and my wife want to do is sort of, like, shelter ourselves from the big bad world that's the wrong response that's the like sort of traditional sort of weird homeschool response and like <laughs> hiding yourself from the big bad world has never like produced good fruit it's just historically it doesn't on the other end i feel like the other end is like hyper trying to be relevant what's happening now we need to be in step with everything happening culturally And that's never produced real good fruit either. So I think there has to be, like you said, this tension of there's some ways that culture is going to go that we can actually like politely decline and say, as for me and my house, we're not going to do that. But then there are other places where we need to engage and maybe be the only presence in the midst of the chaos of people who like aren't totally freaking out and are infusing it with a sense of real peace and love. I wouldn't even say that someone has to choose either one or two of those paths. We probably all need to hold those two things in tension in a very polarizing time. I think if more Christians could maybe hold both of those, we might be able to help start healing the breach of the polarization. Who yeah. knows?
2: Yeah. yeah. It's interesting what you said about St. Francis of the CC. I know you mentioned him a couple times on this episode, and I come from an Anglican background, so there's a reverence for the, you know, saints at some level. And in the story of St. Francis, I know he goes out into the town square, you know, takes off all of his clothes and renounces his family's fortune. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, like, why is St. Francis important to you? Or what do you think it would look like today to learn from his story?
1: I think when I yeah, when I say Saint Francis, I'm not necessarily saying I wanna do that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I just had to But bring I think
1: I think when I think of Saint Francis, granted, I like the the image it conjures in my mind is definitely this guy who like went outside the city, found an old abandoned monastery, you know what I mean, entered into a simple life, came from like an aristocratic, wealthy family. He could have been one of the rollers, one of the You know, in biblical terms, the Old Testament, he could have been one of the elders at the gate, the gatekeeper of culture and society. And he renounced that. He renounced it all. But he also, there's this part of him that drew near to nature. And you have his like poetry and him finding the Lord in these wide open spaces, you know. So that's the part of him in my mind that often feels similar to Wendell Berry or the Amish or those who have sort of pulled away from the mainstream, well, interestingly, in the case of Wendell Berry and St. Francis, having what proved maybe to be a more potent voice in culture at large because they chose to have forms of separation.
0: Well, Josh, this has been, this has been great. I, we love your music. Your storytelling ability in your music is right up there with the best, and it makes us think. It makes our heart journey and process what God is doing in our own midst. And so we are so grateful for your time today, being willing to just give us some of your thoughts about peace and for us to be thinking about how do we have peace in our own soul? Where does that come from? What are the rhythms that we perhaps need to to go? And I know some of you listening perhaps on this podcast today are probably walking away thinking like, I need to get back in touch with some of the disciplines that I'm hearing Josh mentioned, you might have to go out into your garage and pace around a little bit just by yourself and take that drive north for a few hours to pray. Whatever it is, we hope you'll do that. And Josh, we are so grateful for your time and your candidness, your authenticity, both in your music and in this interview. I feel personally that I'm walking away contemplating my own spirit right now in a level Mm -hmm. of peace, That exists in my own home as I father this family and I lead this Mm -hmm. family. So I I appreciate you. You are a role model. You are an encouragement to me and I know many other people. Right on. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. If you want Josh's music, it is on his website, joshgerals.com. It's also on Spotify, iTunes, on every music platform. His new album is out. We hope you'll check it out. It's Peace to All Who Enter Here. It's a nice short album with some brilliant low-key peaceful rhythms for you to check in and tune into so hope you do that all right god bless I'm Oliver Hersey, host of the Transforming Discipleship Podcast, a podcast brought to you by smallgroups.com. We want to thank all the ministry leaders out there who have tuned into this episode. If you are finding this podcast to be helpful to you in your ministry, would you please share it with other ministry leaders and, and do us another favor? Would you rate us right after this episode on iTunes? We appreciate that. And as always, if you need more ideas or resources, we hope that you'll visit smallgroups.com in order to look at our books, our Bible studies, and other training tools that might be helpful to you as you continue building your small group ministry. You can also subscribe to get unlimited access to great materials that will help you to train leaders and also get ready for the next ministry season. Until next time, my friends, God bless.